So how are we supposed to feel after that yesterday? How do you how do you feel? I feel like I'm on a couch somewhere. You posing these questions to me. Yeah. Um, I don't feel as bad as everybody seems to feel, or at least seem to feel during and after the game. Like I look at it this way, and I know you can't take every game and compare them, but this is a team that needed a 61-yard field goal at home to beat the Giants last time, and we didn't expect at that point we didn't expect you know them to be 12 and two at this point. So, you know, the Giants just might be a team that has their number a little bit. From the fourth quarter of that first game through almost the entire first half yesterday, or the first quarter and a half, defense simply could not stop the Giants. Their slam plays didn't give enough time to the line to get to Eli Manning. Um, if anything, they provided a blueprint on how to beat this Eagles defense, which worries me. The defense does worry me a little bit, but, like, the Foles concern, the offense wasn't great. They got some really good field position, but that's been happening to them all season, and Carson Wentz has been punching in all season, and that's exactly what Nick Foles did yesterday. So I'm not worried about the score. I thought Foles looked fine. thought the defense struggled, and it is what it is. But to me, to me, the, you know, the Giants seem to have a little something on the Eagles here, and yet they won both of the games. That's, that's my takeaway. Yeah. Russ, Anybody? how you feeling, man? Um. I don't know. I feel about the same that I felt last week. Um, everybody was getting super high on, you know, buying in on Nick. And last week I brought up the fact that I've been concerned about the defense the last few weeks. And I got scoffed at that, you know, they played Seattle and they played Todd Gurley. And my point all along has been the tackling has been atrocious. It looks like a Billy Davis era defense. And it reared its ugly head again yesterday. You're not going up against Todd Gurley. Uh, if you're getting gutted on plays by Odell, on, on you know by Odell Beckham Jr., then I I understand. But you, you weren't yesterday, yeah, Odell. What I say, Odell instead of Odell. Um, it's cold but like, thing. if Beckham, Ross, way to if, go, Bill Simmons on us and be like, I've been saying all along, and I don't have the like the effort to fact check you. If I've been on, been. I've been on this. Uh, this I've been podcast. saying this for eighteen can we, can we, years. Can we just talk about the Boston Celtics for a second here? Uh, you know, Jason Tatum. No, but like seriously, I, it it showed up again yesterday, and it like I, I'm excited to a point to watch Nick go out and, and do well. But you're playing a terrible team, and now two and eleven or two and eleven, now two and twelve Giants team, and I don't get too high on it. Like I th- I think that Foles looked really good against a bad defense, and I think the Eagles defense looked atrocious against a terrible Giants offense. That's where I'm at. Yep. It's actually funny because I I didn't even think about this until Russ went in the past. When we were looking at the schedule of the Seahawks, Rams, and Giants, I did say that the Giants game was going to be a tough game because the Giants just always play us tough. But, you know, we always forget our perspective, and then after the game we feel a whole different way. Uh, I, I left the game going, I don't think this team can go anywhere. Um just to watch Eli Manning put up, what, 450 yards passing against us, um, the the corners, the, the whole defense really does have issues tackling. And it was the, the Sterling Shepard play, all of those plays to DeVaris King. It just always seemed like there was multiple opportunities. I, I was sitting there feeling helpless. Like, I don't know about you, like, I asked Kyle before we started recording, was that a pass interference on Corey Graham? 
I just, that entire drive, I went, the Eagles are going to lose this game. And that was a really helpless feeling. Now, positive. The Eagles got a bye yesterday. Like, that's a guarantee. They got a bye. And I feel, I've never felt worse for getting a bye before. Um, they're 12-2. and two. Minnesota is right there. They can't lose another game, really. If they, if they win out, which is a win against Oakland, and a win against the Cowboys, who eked out a win last night, but they get Zeke back next week from his private resort workouts. Uh, they get the home field advantage, but I don't even know if that's guaranteed. Um, look, I, remember that one year where the Eagles got the punt return and the kick return and all that stuff against the Patriots? They won that game, mm-hmm. and they were like, yeah, but that's such a fluke that was highly improbable. Yesterday, the Eagles got a field goal block, an extra point block, and a punt return block. That is, and they and they only won by five, like right. that's that's it's just a little scary. I'm just look. I'm thrilled they win. I'm thrilled that yet again we sweep the Giants. Like that was a great feeling. But if we're thinking about the Nick Foles going to carry us to the Super Bowl, that wasn't enough. I get three three things to respond to and unpack from both you guys. One, um, so if the Eagles win next week, yes, it's over. They so, get home field. Like, no, okay. it's not. Incorrect. Yes, right. That's you're wrong. Yeah. Okay, no, no, no. I, I think I believe Adam here because this is what I heard yesterday. But I continuously go back to because when to the why, Eagles and the right Vikings the had the same record, the Vikings. the Vikings had the tiebreaker. So if the Vikings they had the tiebreaker because of conference record, I thought it went right. down to the to the fourth. Right. So if the Vikings went out and let's say, oh, I was trying, and let's say the Eagles lose one of these next two games, they have the same record. Don't, don't the Vikings have home field advantage? I don't think so. Let me pull the tiebreaker. I think Adam's right. Um, Because this is exactly what they were saying on the broadcast yesterday. Eagles win and the Vikings lost. I'm assuming if the Eagles were to beat the Patriots, or excuse me, the Raiders, that wouldn't be enough because a potential loss to the Cowboys could hurt that conference record. But if that was flipped around and the Eagles go 2-1-1 one one down the stretch here and beat the Cowboys, then losing to the Raiders wouldn't impact the conference record. And as it stands, the Eagles do have a better record against common opponents by virtue of the win against the Rams last week. So I think that would do it, 1-1, one one, but that win coming against the Cowboys also- instead of the Raiders... I'm also seeing I, this though. Like I'm also seeing that it might be. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, it's I, it's because we should probably know for 12, sure. Before Twelve and two versus eleven ahead. and three, conference record. The Eagles win last night. That takes them to ten and one in the conference. Minnesota. Who did Minnesota beat yesterday? Minnesota beat Cincinnati, which was out of conference. So they're still eight and two in the conference, and the Eagles are are ten and one. So even if you lose both of those games, you're you're even on conference. Well, you lose one. Even if you lose one and they win both, then you wind up even on conference at two losses, and it goes to the next one, which should be head-to-head, which the Eagles now are ahead of. Unless we're all missing something here. But what you said, Adam, is what what they were saying on the broadcast. Yeah, but now I'm seeing online that it says that an Eagles win or a Vikings loss is home field advantage, which doesn't make sense. No, no, but it does. Because then if the Eagles win – the worst they can do is have the same conference record as the Vikings, which means they would kick it down to the next one, which is head-to-head, which they've already earned over the Vikings by virtue of beating the Rams last week. That's that's the difference. Oh, that's how it now goes? 
Uh, yep, yep. So oh, well, they head-to-head both, head but they both beat the Rams. Common opponents. They both beat the Rams, but that was a common opponent. So the Eagles picked up another win there. So if you look at the common opponents, um, the Eagles have a one-game better record. I forget which team the Vikings lost to in there, but that that's they the lost to the Saints, right? Uh, no. Yeah, but that's not a common opponent. Uh, let me pull it up real quick here. Anyway, let's get off the Steelers. <laughs> they lost to the Steelers. No, so the Vi- no, but the Vikings also lost Wrestler. to. Oof. Hold on, I got it right here. Then we, then we can move. Next, on. I'm just saying it makes us sound bad that we don't know. This well, it makes it sound bad. It's no. This is no, what every Viking... fan. This is what every fan is doing this morning. Is going. How do we get home field advantage? The Vikings lost to the. Jeez. Uh, there, there's some, there's something here. Oh, they lost to the Panthers. They lost to the Panthers, and the Eagles and beat the Eagles Panthers. Beat the Panthers. That, that's there the difference. Go. That okay, one loss gotcha. is the difference. Um, so, all right, so, so two other, two other. Hold on, two other things to unpack from all that. Russ, your mention of Billy Davis, I think, is a good one because more concerning to me than the tackling, because um, again, look at the end of that the Patriots Steelers game, which we'll talk about in a minute. That tackling, and you know, there's Eric Rowe, by the way, former former Eagle, and you're like, right. yep, here. Here he is getting smoked. Like this, you know, this is the Patriots, and they let a guy just just run seventy yards down the field, basically without anyone putting a hand on him. If that don't, were the don't Eagles bad game, bad mouth Eric Rowe. Eric Rowe is the one that caused the I, interception. I, at the end of the I game. understand, but he was also the guy who, yeah, of course, who got took a bad route by Juju. Yeah, yep. But um, you know, if that play happens here in Philly, we are we are like collective freak out. So you know. There's a lot of bad tackling in the NFL. There's a lot of long runs. Look at what t- now. I know the the Seahawks are shells of their former selves, but look what that Rams team did in Seattle yesterday. I mean, they just on the broadcast they used the word exploded, and to me that's the perfect phrase for it. I mean, Todd Gurley four touchdowns. What three of them coming in the first half, or all of them coming in the first half? Like. That is a team the Eagles just played on the road last week, and though they weren't able to stop them, we see what the Rams are capable of. So there's a lot of bad tackling, a lot of high yeah, octane Kyle, offenses. Hold on, hold on. So I like unless concerned. Well, but it, it the thing is, you you have to compare them to other teams. I the tackling wasn't but good. I'm, just, hold on, but, I'm not making excuses for them. But the, I mean, the Patriots had had a moment like the Eagles had yesterday as well. Like it does happen. It happened too frequently. My bigger concern is less about the tackling and more about Ronald Darby just getting torched out there. And when you mentioned Billy Davis, the last Eagle corner I can remember to just like just get be on an island and get destroyed was Bradley Fletcher against Des Bryant and the Cowboys, I think, in 2014. Like that that's what Darby looked like. I'm more concerned about that because now you have your supposed number one corner and he like it, it, he's fast, but he appears to be very dumb because he he kept biting on the same play over and over again, and he he made a big play at the end to deflect the ball. Obviously, he had the nice interception, but I'm more concerned about the corners. Why was Rasul Douglas a scratch? Like to me, that's a little bit more worrisome because now you have a blueprint on how to beat the Eagles. Don't give the defensive line time and throw these slant routes. Like they could not stop. And I'm with you, Adam. Like I was. Head in a pillow that entire fourth drive. Thought no way they're going to stop them here, and we got lucky with you know, you know some some weak attempts in the red zone from the Giants. Let me just fire back at you really quick. So I I don't like the comparison thing. I feel like I'm about to be in a classroom. So if if a kid throws a pencil, or no, a kid throws a paper ball halfway across the room into a recycling bin, and I say don't do that, and they say well three other kids just did it. I don't care about the comparison. I care about your action. 
And so it's it's the same way with tackling. I don't care if the Seahawks miss tackles. I don't care if the Rams have been missing tackles. Ultimately, what I care about is if this team is to advance to a Super Bowl, you know, we could sit back and say that tackling is bad right now in the NFL, but ultimately, if Danny Amendola catches a slant going, you know, going into the end zone, and Ronald Darby blows a tackle, or Malcolm Jenkins misses an assignment and can't wrap him up to bring him down short of the goal line, you know, in the Super Bowl, I'm not going to sit down and say, well, you know, the Rams also had trouble tackling. And the Steelers also had trouble tackling in the conference championship game. Sure. Like, that's that's my biggest sure, complaint. But the, like, the, the two things you just mentioned, um, I mean, Darby's issue isn't really tackling, and Malcolm Jenkins blowing an assignment generally isn't a tackling thing. I get what you're saying. I get what I'm you're saying. I'm just throwing names out there. Like, you, you want to say I, pa- I, I got Patterson or, or Douglas, doesn't matter. I don't care. I'm not excusing the defense. Like, that was that was purely dreadful. And for a, for a unit that really needed to step up against a bad Giants team, with your quarterback going out and inspire some level of confidence, they shit the bed. And if I'm Jim Swartz, I'm throwing things in the locker room at halftime. I'm throwing things today. Like, purely dreadful. Purely dreadful. But I I guess I was more concerned with the actual coverage and inability to stop those short routes and and occasional missed assignments and Malcolm Jenkins occasionally being, like, a step out of place than I am about – than I am purely about the tackling. If only because – and I know you can't compare this, but, like, you bring up the Patriots, but, like – Again, it happened to them too yesterday. Like, you know, it's not excusing what the Eagles did, but, it, you know, I, I don't know. I didn't think well, the it was one, as... The one thing I'll say is this, is you're bringing up the one play that the Patriots allowed that was big. I feel like the Eagles allowed like four or five of those yesterday, and that's catastrophic. Who was the corner that you said reminded you of the Billy Davis? Bradley Fletcher. Okay, so I was going to say that Darby is beginning to remind me a lot of Asante Samuel, where he'll get you that interception like he got in the second quarter where he jumps a route, but he jumps the route every time. So, yeah, when he gets like the one out of five, like it's like, oh, man, what a play. But the other three or four, like he almost jumped. He jumped around in the last drive that turned in, that was a, a holding or something like that that, that hurt the Eagles a lot. That's uh, so what I said last week. I said that I thought that Darby was going to be a liability in a huge game because he just jumps on stuff. I, I don't understand this, too, though. It goes back to the Seahawks game for me. Why is Jim Schwartz in man-to-man all game long. They have no zone defense whatsoever. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I have watched Eli Manning have shit games all year thrown against the zone, and now here we are playing man-to-man on an island, letting them throw 50-50 balls. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tavares King looks like Amani Toomer. And he is a guy that's been on like 12 practice squads in the NFL. Uh, my, all of my issues really stem in the defense. I actually thought, and I'm sure you guys did too, Nick Foles played well. But I'm not going to sit here and do this whole emoji for touchdown song and dance because two of those drives started really deep in the giant zone because of an interception and a punt block. So did the Eagles, did Nick Foles really have to drive the team consistently yesterday? Not all the time, because they had those two drives that started deep in the own zone. But Jay Ajayi, in my opinion, and Corey Clement still need to be getting a lot more carries than LeGarrett Blunt. LeGarrett has now, it's, it has now evaporated. 
He lasts longer than Kyle's five-game prediction, and he I think he made it about 14 games before he's completely ineffective because that fourth and one yesterday was abysmal. Granted, Steve Wisniewski did not play, and so it was Chance Womack and Samalo filling in. But, uh, yeah, I... I I, I do. I we won that game, but Russ, I don't know. You felt positive after that game. I I know. I know you didn't, but I just left that game going. Man, Eli threw four fifty seven against us. And here's here's like one other big concern. I feel like we're pooping all over this team. So let me. I'm. I have. I have two things that'll brighten the mood a little bit. But your your defense gave up five hundred yards to an awful Giants offense, and it took the best special teams performance in probably three years by this team a much maligned special teams unit this year a i went into the game with friends saying that like the special teams has just not had those big plays it took what three blocks to escape new york with a win and i know it's a divisional opponent but like it took the best special teams performance in years to overcome what was an abysmal defensive effort and so i don't know how anybody could really be high on it i know people are um, Nelson Aguilar, I will continue to apologize to. He has had, uh, the, I think he wins the Zacherts breakout season award. Um, let me throw out a riddle and it's, it's a player that I really do like, but I find perpetually frustrating. Here's my riddle. I have two hands. I've possessed more guns in airports than balls that have hit my hands from quarterbacks. Uh, Who am I? How long are you working on that? I said it during the game. I had to make sure I wrote it down. Is He's had, what, three hit his hands in two days? Can we just put this defense on a jugs machine the entire week? Darby dropped one in the end zone. Bradham has dropped a few play. in the last two weeks. Like, And those are potential game-changing plays, right? Like They're, they're total momentum shifts. They're, they give you the ability to put your foot on the Giants' throat. And I think in at least two of the situations, the Giants went down and, and picked up points. I'm done being a curmudgeon. I'm just going to sit here now. So it does I, suck when defensive guys can't catch. Why is that, Adam? Like they're, they're they, pros. Because that's I, why they're defensive guys. Yeah, but I'm. <sighs> so look, I is it really I ag- that simple? Hold on, I agree with you. So Pro Football Focus did a story last year. Um, uh, t- two points to respond to there. I'll go backwards. Uh, Pro Football Focus did a story last year, dropped interceptions. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins was tied for second in the league with four drops. Uh, Josh Norman was actually first. And there's some pretty good players up there, Janoris Jenkins, Malcolm Jenkins, Josh Norman. Um, to me, it feels like it's gotten worse this year. I can't find a stat readily available, but the Eagles have to be among the league leaders in dropped interceptions. I mean, Bradham has now had three. I know Jenkins has had a couple. Darby has one yesterday. Like it, it seems like this happens every game. I take yes, it's a negative. Yes, it's frustrating. I tweeted this yesterday, and I got I got corrected by math nerds because I I wrote progress to the mean instead of regress to the mean, though fantasy football data guys used the term progress but that's another story but my point was the eagles have gotten their hands on so many passes this year it's kind of like the touchdown in the nfl like um when you're looking at fantasy stats and a guy's putting up big numbers and getting targets and getting targets in the red zone but he doesn't have touchdowns there over the course of a season you can kind of bank on that reverting to the mean it's the same as babip in baseball guys putting the ball in play and only getting a hit on 20 percent of them the average in the in the majors is like three to uh, 
30 to 31% balls put in play. My point is, if the Eagles defenders keep getting their hands on the ball, eventually they will catch it. I know that I know that sounds like kind of goofy and it's frustrating that Bradham keeps dropping them and all that stuff, but if they keep getting their hands in lanes, eventually they're going to catch it and one of them's going to go for a pick six. So like, I, yes, it's a negative, but the positive here is that for the most part, all season long, the defense has been pretty good, these last two weeks notwithstanding, and they have gotten their hands on a lot of balls and have had a lot of missed opportunities. Eventually, they're going to start going their way, and like I have the sneaking suspicion it's going to happen in the playoffs. Like Eventually, you get your hands on that many balls, you're going to pick 6-1. Um, so, like, yeah, it's frustrating, but um, it's a good problem to have. That we can't, Oh, my God, they keep jumping routes and dropping balls. Okay, well... Yeah, I guess there's worse problems because eventually it is going to stick in someone's hand. At yeah, some point. and to answer Russ's question, like just because guys are out there on the field doesn't mean they have the same level of catching. You know, we're just used to receivers and running backs and their ability to catch the ball, but like defenders are like, I'm going to kill him, I'm going to kill him, I'm going to kill him. And then it's like, oh, crap, the ball's coming right at me. And they just don't have good hands. You know, these are guys that. They tackle and hit people. They're not. They're not receivers. But it does seem like we we have some guys that are exceptionally bad at it. Um, I feel like Nigel may have even dropped a, a few more earlier this season. But but then again, at the same point, Nigel Bradham played fantastic yesterday. Like he had so many really important tackles. But of course, like he intercepts that one. He's taking it to the house, and Adam covers the spread, and he feels really good. So. Yeah, that was that was some frustrating shit. But I mean, the thing that killed me too was you brought up the Rams earlier. The Vikings and Rams looked so good yesterday and I would take both of them over the Eagles right now. The Eagles just beat the Rams though. Like how can with you Carson say that? Wentz with Carson playing Wentz. third like three quarters. They're a different team. Okay, but like what yeah, but when you're when you I I, I get what you're saying, but when you're talking about the Rams, you're talking about the offense mostly, and they just play that offense, and you know they and they put up thirty something points. Yeah, yeah. I, I, Kyle, you are getting sucked into the. Well, I look, think, this I is where I get this is where just... I get really confused. The question that I asked Sims on Monday, I'm going to do it again today, is what percent of my heart should I actually invest into this team? Because I don't want to do this Eagles fan shit where I'm like, nope, they can do it. And then like they go in the playoffs and they get smacked in the first game and then I'm emotionally distraught. I'm just, I don't want to do that anymore. And I'm, I'm not going to be a blind fan. I just can't do it in my life. It hurts my heart too much. But so, this is what... Like, so I, the, yesterday I feel like I actually lost percentage of the emotion that I'm willing to put forth towards the Eagles because it just has that feeling of a major letdown is what it feels like to me. But you, this is do, why you when feel we... that way because of the way the defense played against the Giants. And I, I and guess the my, Rams and the Seahawks. I guess if, if my my takeaway here right, the toughest three game stretch of the season. Right. I don't think and they the were dreadful against the, the Seahawks. Bat. Yeah, but they, uh, the Seahawks was right. was well, a that's weird Russell game. Wilson. Right. I mean, they got a ton of pressure. I mean, they really did get pressure against any other quarterback. They have a dominating performance in that game. So you go Rams-Giants. The corners really... penalties is still an issue, but I do agree the Rams and the Giants were more. 
And you know, and it's really hard to t- it's really hard for any defense to extrapolate anything against the Rams because they they are explosive. And, at the end, and in the second half, they did you know they did begin to take over some drives, and ultimately they won the Eagles the game on those last few drives. So like, I get where you're coming from. I feel if you said gun to head, less confident after yesterday, yeah, absolutely, like no doubt about it. I wanted to see them come out and win forty two to nothing. Didn't happen. On the flip side, I don't want to just pin the entire season on the defense looking shitty against the Giants and say, well, we can't stop anybody. We suck. Like, there's enough of a body of work here. It's a pretty. It's been a pretty good defense all year. Yeah, Twice it, now, it the evolves. Eagles have had a— No, I, I understand, but they haven't lost— If anything, they've gained something. Yes, you lost Jordan Hicks, but you did get Darby back, and he still gives you more depth there, if nothing else, even if we're so down on Darby today. But, like— you know, again, this is two games in a row, including the first game, which was at home, which was with Carson Wentz, which was early in the season. We all look back upon fondly. Needed a special teams play, an improbable 61-yard field goal to win. So, like, yes, twice now you've beat the Giants. Twice the special teams has had to win it for you. That's concerning. But at the same time, it's like, you know, it, it happens. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not ready to, like, completely throw away all feelings I have, positive and negative, based on a Giants win. Like, I'm not ready to say, hey, Nick Foles threw four touchdowns. We should we should pencil the team in the Super Bowl. No, it's the Giants. There was a complete blown assignment on one. And, but then on the other hand, I'm not worried, ready to, like, write off the defense entirely because the Giants just seem to have their number. I'm more concerned if now there's a blueprint, and if other teams can try and replicate that, that's what scares me because it, it did show that there's a, there's a weakness to, to beat here. Like teams like uh, Minnesota? Like yes, teams like agreed. Minnesota who go watching who go Diggs in, run across the middle scares shit who went out of me right who now. went and, and absolutely smacked down a Cincinnati Bengals team mm-hmm. like here here's Bengals blow the Bengals are purely dreadful yeah well the Bengals are are middle of the table in defensive yards per game allowed Vikings are the second best team in the NFL like the Cincinnati after I think after last night Cincinnati was in the middle of the table in terms of defensive yards allowed per game and the Giants were thirty first so like. I get that Cincinnati's awful, but Minnesota, I think, has to be considered the better team right now than, than the Eagles do. There's because one they word went, that like, I think about when Russ kind of yawns in the middle of his voice, and that word is cozy. Mm. Fantastic. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, we should probably we should probably pause yeah, for a quick second. Let's do it, do it. We should probably pause for a quick second and tell you about our friends at Cozy. We've been telling you about it for a while. Uh, since the beginning of November, and I've been rattling off dates. Today is December 18th. There's one week left to shop for Christmas, which is son of a bitch. Truly crazy. <laughs> truly crazy. Uh, this month has flown by. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just me or whatever. But um, there is still time left to get gifts. What you don't want to do right now, especially if you're out in the suburbs, the last thing you want to do is drive downtown and go to Jewelers Row to pick uh, up something. Don't do that. Stinks. Don't do that. Go to Cozy Jewelers, family-owned and operated, located in the heart of Newtown Square, super accessible in the Edgemont Shopping Center, pretty much any of the PA suburbs. You can get there quite quickly, 476 to to Westchester Pike, and you're there. Um, They've been sponsoring the show for the better part of two months now. We've been telling you about some of the specials they had leading up to Black Friday. Those have come and gone, but they have an excellent selection of pretty much anything you want for the special special someone in your life, particularly if you're planning on getting engaged, which if you're going to do it this holiday season and you don't have the ring yet, then, then shame on you. But even if you're thinking about it for next year, go into Cozy now, you know, whenever. Go in, go in now. 
Just to, just to like, if, if your thing for New Year's is I'm getting engaged next year, go in now and get put the wheels in motion. Tell them that we sent you. They will walk you through the process of creating a custom uh, diamond engagement ring. They'll, they'll sell you how they source their diamonds. They'll walk you through the four C's, the whole process. Even better, if you mention us, mention Crossing Broadcast, mention Crossing Broad. If you buy a custom women's diamonds, diamond engagement ring, you'll get a free men's cobalt wedding band. Which is the sort of thing that, like, when you buy, when you buy the engagement ring, everything's all happy. We're going to get married, and then you realize, like, how many things need to be bought before the wedding. Having that peace of mind of having the the men, man's wedding band is uh, goes a long way. So uh, go check them out. It's uh, cozy c o z z i jewelers dot com. Uh, thanks to them for sponsoring the podcast, and also Anthony San Filippo's flyers content on the website. Yeah, tell them that Russell Joy sends you, and then when they say who. Be like, I mean, crossing broadcast. Yes. That's how you should deliver it. Cozy Scott, Jewelers, Scott's they won't allow 504 yards of deep of offense to, uh, that was right. awful. So, Russ, I do actually think I used to really go, oh, no, Russ doesn't yawn. You do like a mini yawn. Yeah, I catch myself voice. partway now. Yeah, it's bad. It's interesting. Well, because I was always like, I don't think Russ yawns ever, but you do this thing where you, it's like you go slow motion for a second. Maybe it's just this mic. Oh, wait, no, I don't it's have that definitely mic not in. your no. mic. <laughs> no, I'm doing a background yawning. over here. When you guys are talking, I'm yawning like crazy, and I don't know if that ever comes through. I don't get to have my coffee until like 8 a.m. Oh, so, yeah, so. I have to. I was talking to one of the Malibet brothers, the guys that create Game of Zones. He's like, oh, I could definitely tell you recorded 6 in the morning. And I was like, I feel like someone just told me that I look tired. And that's like the most, I, I find that to be such an insult. When I see you on Bleacher Report. Long night last night. I'm like, ugh. When I see you on Bleacher Report, I'm like, who is this guy? It's not the guy we talked to at 6 a.m. Yeah, well, I lay down horizontal when we do this. (laughs) I really get get cozy. Cozy. There you go. Nice, nice. Can we talk Um, about these NFL rule things real quick? uh, Wait, what? Hold on. Why did Russ react like that? I got like five-ish minutes. We talking about it. Go ahead. He wants go, to do Sixers. Rule. That's okay. I love, I love well, Sixers. We no, should no, no, do we... Sixers. It was a three-overtime game, and then me and Kyle can talk about NFL rules. Okay. Russ, did you enjoy the game? Um, Other yeah. than the result. Yeah, I, I, th- I think so for the most part. Um, Russell Westbrook continues to be one of the most frustrating human beings to watch play basketball. He's enjoyable. I think Like I, I've been making the comparison a lot recently. That he is a an exponentially more athletic Allen Iverson, um, also rebounds a million times better, also sometimes passes the ball. Um, he is just, I have to think that if you're a Thunder fan, you've got to love watching him play and watch him play so hard, but you also have to hate the fact that he is definitely going to run off Paul George, and if he could, he would also run off Carmelo Anthony, and just live in his little world of triple doubles that ESPN still for some reason is just ESPN will continue to build shrines to his triple doubles. I think they at this point just need to give him an office and a statue outside of their uh, Bristol location. Uh wow. the game was the game was good but like Joel Embiid plays 49 minutes in the game more than a standard basketball game and now they're talking about they don't know if he's going to be available for Tuesday's game. So I don't know. Like that's that that's where surprising. I'm at. Like it, he needs a serious management of his load after that game. Like I don't understand. Like, look, I that like Brett Brown a lot. Was weird. I I hate the fact that in our Slack chat, like I, I've gotten to a point where I want to mute Slack during games because 
We've got Investor Jeff and Phil Keidel, who are the angel and devil on the shoulder. And when you watch this game, like, Phil now refers to uh, Brett Brown as Pete McCannon. And it drives me nuts. And then Jeff will make any excuse in the book for why the Sixers are losing. Like, Jeff is the ultimate process guy now. I'm, I'm passing that mantle because they'll lose a game and he'll find, like, three positives. And I'm like, I don't want to listen to your positives. I want to see them actually win a freaking game. Uh, there, there were just some things in that game that, that I found infuriating. I think that anytime you're going to have a player that cannot play back-to-backs, but you don't sit him at all during overtime, you like can. during the three overtimes. You yes, you can. No, you can't, Russ. That's ridiculous. The minute he sits on the ground or the or a chair, his back was going to tighten up so badly that he was done for the game. And you're playing against a team that is rolling out its top play. Like you're in overtime, you're you're this deep into the game. You don't go sitting your best player because when he's not on the floor, the Sixers are an entirely different team. Like it, you just can't do it. Like you're that deep into the game, unless so he's got like a broken leg out here. Played four overtimes. Yep. Yeah. If, you, if it had yep. gone five, would he have played five? Yep. Probably. That's just irresponsible. Nice hypotheticals. Yeah. I love the fact that we have a player that Carmelo Anthony and Russell Westbrook want to fight. I mean, that's just incredible. That was- Every time he plays someone, they they're just like, I want to kill you. It's so good. Your boy Maurice tweeted. Um, after hearing Russell Westbrook's post-game comments about he's not going to waste his energy on Embiid, just moments after he had wasted his energy on Embiid, and Mo tweeted like he uh, he's like Embiid just bought a four-bedroom condo in Russell Westbrook's head. It's uh, awesome. That was funny. I like Embiid. You know the waving thing like cracks me up, but clearly there's there's going to be some guys in the in the NBA who just don't stand for that. Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony seem like one and one a. Um, I'm all in. I'm all in on that Yo, beef. Russell West, Russell Westbrook waving at him. I'm all in on all. Joel's that. quote about it uh, when they asked him that was my like favorite moment of the night was when they asked Joel if he is ever fearful that somebody's going to take it physical with him, and he said like, "When's the last time you saw anybody throw a punch in the NBA?" And he said, "I'm from Africa. Don't mess with me." Like I love any I I love that man. Can I? And he, he mentioned Westbrook shooting ten for thirty three. I wish I could have shot ten for thirty three. But we probably would have won that game. Yeah. I feel like I feel like lost in all of our conversation around Westbrook here and the, and the back and forth and all this and and Embiid playing. That was one of the most entertaining NBA. Like you talk about yes. ESPN getting their money's worth for that whole All Access Day and then getting a triple overtime thriller. Like you think about the stars that were on the court in that overtime: Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid. Right. Paul George, and like you felt like you were watching an all-star JJ game. JJ Redick. JJ Redick. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you felt like you were watching an all-star game. That was absolutely terrific basketball, and it sucked to lose it because when the when the the thunder went up with like eight seconds to go or whatever it was, you could hear the air being sucked out of the building. And I tweeted, I was like, I've seen this loss a hundred times. Like I know. I don't, like there's I know that sound in the Wells Fargo Center. It's like it's it's specific to the Wells Fargo Center. It's like a vacuuming noise pulling from all the concourse entrances, just like sucking the air out of the building. And like you knew the game was over at that point. You d- you just know it the Sixers weren't going to win. Like this is how we lose games and it's fine. It's disappointing. You know, it's not a moral victory, but you know, it you lose a three overtime game to the Thunder. Yeah. I'm not yeah, like it's not, it's not a moral victory because the the Thunder weren't even 500. Um, no, I know, but, and I, I'll but say in this, overtime, it was, it was it's very, talent first talent. 
Oh, it was so entertaining. That's what I mean. To see Embiid and Simmons going face-to-face with those guys and then for the other team to be so impacted that they want to get into a fight with your players is great. But then also I'm sitting there going, when is the last time that I've seen the Sixers get a good look in a last-second shot? Like a fadeaway Dario Sarge three cannot be the look that you get. I just, you know, I, I was talking to someone about, I can't remember who it was, about whether or not Brett Brown is the coach of the future. And it's a really weird conversation because he's such a great guy. And I, I really do love him as a guy to mold these men. But is he the guy that's going to coach it in the in crunch time? Because I just feel like every time I watch an important play call, we end up getting like a thirty-five footer, at like and not not squared up. And so, I, can I, I, I let me just yeah, really yeah. quick. <sighs> so there was a. This is that was an exaggerated big one. Um, <laughs> I I have an issue Dang that nice. I've had the, an issue that I've had this entire year, guys. Ben Simmons doesn't shoot the ball. Oh boy. Ben Simmons doesn't attack. Ben Simmons has become so averse to driving to the hoop and and getting a call. And it all seems to go back to the hack of Ben game where he was essentially embarrassed beat a Ben. And and it is it's it's bad because he's no longer that like when you want to say that he reminds you of a young LeBron. The difference is that young LeBron attacked attacked the rim and got to the line. Ben hasn't been doing it. In two games that they've played in overtime this year, Ben Simmons is averaging... You were like one, seven years old when young LeBron was playing. Stop, that's not true. Um, when when these, this team goes to overtime, Ben Simmons is 12. averaging... He's averaging one field goal attempt in overtime. One. In two games that have gone to overtime, one shot. In the fourth quarter of games, how many field goal attempts does Ben Simmons have, guys? I don't know. You're going to tell us. Three and a half. How many free throws does he attempt in a fourth quarter? Two. Two Two per game. 2.2. Ooh, I guess. What in the world? Look, you you can make all kinds of arguments. When I say that he initiates the offense too quickly on a final possession of a game and it allows the other team, like the Lakers, to set a play or to get a kick out for a three to, to kill you, fine. Argue that it's because he's young. But there there is a lack of killer instinct on this kid oh. right now, and it scares me. Oh, I, and I, you can you can moan and groan all you want, but the, the numbers don't lie. Three field goal attempts in a fourth quarter per game is unacceptable, and two free throw attempts in a fourth quarter, not what you need out of your franchise point guard. So what I'd like to see them do is stop being so reliant at the end of games on jacking up threes that are low percentage looks by like Jared Bayless. That was a good example of a yawn. And and focus in on actually getting to the line because think about it. Who on this team is a slasher? People used to hate Iguodala, but he would get to the line. Who slashes on the team? Covington tries. Sarge. He doesn't finish. He doesn't finish at a high clip at the rim. Sarge doesn't really slash. Sarge kind of like prods his way in like he he just he just kind of like quicksands his way (laughs) he just sort of gets there somehow he lumbers he lumbers his way in joel does the pump fake at the top of the arc and then eventually after like a euro step and two post moves gets in but seriously they don't have a slasher they don't have a guy that's reliable getting to the line that is my biggest fear right now 
you know, like when you look at a team like Houston that I think takes 43 or 45 threes a game, they're also hitting at a high clip. The Sixers are taking, I think, over 30 threes a game. And if they're hitting, like, yeah, they blow teams out. But if they're missing, like they have been lately, it's it's not a good look. Covington went, oh, Jesus, what was it, 2 for 15 in that game? And, like, all they needed was somebody to get to the line. It, like, when teams are going on runs, the best way to stop their momentum is getting to the line. And this team doesn't do it. And it's very frustrating. I still love them, but it's frustrating. And I'm Do you have an now. NBA free throws per game stat that you could throw at us? Mm, give me As one second. Team? I'll pull it. I should you be able pull to pull it. it. Give me a second. I, all right. I can't believe I'm being the positive one here. Like, because that's usually not in my nature. But, like, both with the Eagles and Sixers today. Like, I, I don't know. I get what you're saying about Ben Simmons, Ross. I don't disagree. Like, he, he needs to develop a shot. He needs to be able to hit free throws to become truly great. Like, these are all things anyone watching would acknowledge. But at the same time, this is not – we're still not at a complete product yet. So I feel like sitting here and getting, like, they're never going to be this without this. They're never going to be – like, these are all things we know. These, you know, he would be a junior in college right now. It's still, like, his 30th NBA game. And that's not to excuse it. But at the same time, you have to acknowledge that they're rookies. You have to acknowledge that for, for all this to work out, it's going to be super beneficial if Markel Fultz is able to come back and be that scoring guard that they, they truly lack in those situations, someone who could just get their own and be able to shoot it or get to the rim. That can't be lost on us here. A big part of this is predicated on Fultz being the final piece. So I'm not, I'm gonna dis- make myself I'm not dismissing bad. what you say. Yeah, go ahead. The Sixers average just under 24 free throw attempts per game, which ranks sixth in the league. Bang. Part of that, now, if there is a skew, I don't really think it's Embiid a skew. Gets Embiid, a Embiid, Embiid gets eight free throw attempts per game. Yeah. So, right, so like, I get what you're saying about Ben Simmons, but I don't think killer instinct is, is what he lacks. He is out there. That dude is out there to win. He is the closest thing to a robot I've seen, you know, since LeBron entering the league. Really, yeah, he's, but Adam, us, Adam did bring us. up this concern week, like weeks ago, though, that he doesn't seem to want to take any contact at the rim, Don't and put that's this on that's. Me. I'm just saying, like that was that was something that has been brought up before, and it's true. But the problem is because he this can't podcast hit free throws, should be like titled "Russ Joy Doesn't Think Ben Simmons Is Philly Enough for Sixers." Now that's yeah. Well, no, that's you're all. You're getting close uh, with okay. that killer instinct. <laughs> you're getting close. Uh, we want to tell you about. All right. So before we move on to the NFL rules and whatever, um, I want to tell you about our little tailgating contest with our friends at Americas. Uh, I saw investor Jeff was up at the Eagles game yesterday and tweeted a beautiful picture of an Americas propane tank powering an Eagles fan tailgate in in northern New Jersey. Um, you're not going to find better propane, propane accessories. No, but all seriousness, Amerigas is uh, the nation's number one propane provider, available at over 55,000 locations, including conveniently around here, Home Depot and 7-Eleven. Uh, you've pro- you probably have an Amerigas tank sitting within 100 yards of you right now if you're in your house. Or if you're driving in the car, there's probably a roadside place that has an Amerigas tank. Point is, um, they are powering tailgates. They are powering grills. They are powering fireplaces and portable lamps and heat lamps and all this stuff. Um, they want to tell you, they want to give you a great tailgating, uh, gift, one lucky reader, one lucky listener. So they're giving away over $500 worth of tailgating gear. That includes $200 worth of crossing broad store apparel, by the way. So what do you have to do to enter? Go to crossingbroad.com backslash Amerigas, or just go to the website and we'll have banners on there. There's a post on there on Friday. All you have to do is enter, enter your name and email. That's it. And you'll be entered to win a portable grill. 
a patio heater, like one of those miniature, you know, those things you see outside a bar, a miniature version of that to bring to tailgates, two tailgating chairs, a hose to hook everything all up, and $200 worth of apparel from Crossing Broad, which I'm not good at math, but that would buy you at least six of our sweatshirts, plus a little bit a little bit of money for, for shipping on six shirts uh, for you and a bunch of people. So you have a grill, you have your table heater you you're all attired in the sweatshirts and you got a couple of tailgating chairs so all you got to do to enter crossingbroad.com backslash amerigas hit the link enter your name and email um our thanks to amerigas for sponsoring both the podcast and the website um looking forward to working with them super cool company um and we're gonna we look forward to other opportunities to do giveaways and stuff like this throughout the season as we head into the spring and tailgating for phillies games and all that uh Marigas is going to be the company to power you through all that so thanks to them for sponsoring us um yeah should we talk about the N- are you done on the sixers or should we talk about the nfl rules? Um, did you have anything else for the sixers no i feel like it's a hard it's really a hard game we've we've talked about this off the air before there's things that are difficult to really have discussions about on a podcast, you know, like certain topics are more discussable than others. And like this, there's so much from that Sixers game, but I'm not even sure what there is to discuss. It was just pure entertainment, but there's no, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I have nothing else other than Russ nitpicking Ben Simmons. All we could sit here and say is it was an awesome game on Friday night and it sucked. They lost, but watching him be block Westbrook and then Westbrook come back with the dunk. I yelled, literally yelled about three or four times in my family room, waking up my wife who was sleeping next to me. Um, yeah, like I, I leave those games and I go, man, that was really entertaining. And then, and then like I have all these people that are like, but what about the development of this? And what about the execution of that? And I'm like, I get, I don't know. It was fun. Yeah. Um, the NFL, so the NFL rules. Most notably, we have the Steelers. Not we not getting a Jesse James not getting a touchdown on you know arguably one of the worst rules qualifications in sports the NFL catch rule you have yeah. the Raiders game ending with uh, Carr fumbling out the back of the end zone and it becoming a touchback um, two high profile plays on a day where there was some pretty good football action kind of marring what were otherwise good games I'd be interested to get your thoughts on the specifically the catch rule first. Let's talk about that one. Well, who the fuck knows what it is, Kyle? Like, the catch rule's insane. This is exactly what happened in the Detroit-Atlanta game earlier this year where Golden Tate, with, like, no time left, caught the ball, went in, no one fucking touched him, and they called him down with a 10-second runoff, and the game ended. Except yesterday, it involves the Patriots and the Steelers. It's this notion that if a running back runs and dives as soon as it crosses the play, it's a touchdown. But a wide receiver does this, and we have to see the completion to the ground. I don't appreciate how it's always, uh, well, that's the letter of the law. It's just, it doesn't look that, it doesn't look right. Like, I know that's the rule. You know, that that's the quote-unquote rule, but it's just crazy to me that that happened. Now, Ben did not need to do that whole fake spike thing, and then he, like, blamed on the coaches afterwards, and I don't believe that for a second. But, man, it's just... Sometimes I just go that... Like, I want to call it like I would call it in a backyard football game, and, and nobody would call it the way it got called yesterday. I, and I think you bring up a good point. Like the letter of the law is 
there's logic. When you sit down and think about the logic behind the 10-second runoff, um, and it happened at the end of the Giants, when the Giants uh, had a false start with 58 seconds to go, they got a 10-second runoff because the clock was stopped. And you kind of stop and think about the logic behind that, and it makes sense because if there's nine seconds to go in a game and you're an offensive lineman trying to get an edge, knowing that you have nothing to lose other than five yards, then like the 10-second runoff is an added penalty in those situations where an offense may try and get an unfair advantage and, and try and push the rule book. Like All these things in the NFL make sense when you really sit down and think about it. Even the catch rule, as crazy as it is, there's some sort of logic behind, okay, well, he needs to maintain possession going to the ground because what if he catches it and as he's falling, it falls out? Like, I, there is logic here. On the flip side, it's now proven that that is not the best way to determine whether someone caught a ball. It's that simple. Yes, you can understand the thinking behind all these qualifications about a catch. But when you re- when you see it play out, that is clearly not the way to determine it. It's like balls and strikes in baseball where you're ultimately relying on something subjective. So I've been argu- I've written on the website, I think for 2 years now, I've been arguing in some level that the catch rule needs to be subjective. And I know this opens up officials for all sorts of ridicule and hate and whatever. But there are certain things that when you try and fit them into these neat boxes, that is the NFL catch rule. For ex- yesterday is is the you know, almost a canonical example of this, where any human being would look at that play, including Patriots fans, say, yep, that guy has caught the ball. He is now making a move to do something with the ball. And I think the NFL, the rules always downplay the notion that a guy can catch and possess the ball while he's in the air or doing something acrobatic. But at, like players in the NFL are athletic enough now that they can clearly possess and maintain the ball before they ever even come to the ground because they're that quick, they're that strong, they catch the ball that high and there's that much time for them to, to gather it. And I just think they need the less rules the better, not more. I saw Rich Eisen tweet yesterday something like, this isn't hard. If he catches it and he's going to the goal line, like he was trying to introduce more rules that would have made that a catch yesterday. I guess my argument is less rules. Like literally put it on their officials. When they go under that hood, if they go under that hood, it is now in their hands to say, did this guy catch the ball? Yes or no? Are they going to screw it up sometimes? You bet. Would it go against the rules as written today? You bet. Would people get mad? Yes. Like, would it impact games? Yes, yes, yes. All these things. There's no way they can have a lower batting percentage than what the rules have done thus far over the past few seasons. And to me, like, when you look at baseball, balls, and strikes, there's a subjective quality to it. And every a ton of things in a football game have a subjective quality to that. I feel like you would get more correct calls on catch plays if you just made it subjective or put very loose definitions of what qualifies as a catch or possession and get rid of all this other going to the ground, one knee, two elbows, all this stuff. We literally like had, right. we had games yesterday where we were l- – Putting in slow motion, the Patriots-Steelers game and debating what a catch is. I don't understand how you can make a football move, but you don't have control of the ball. But you made a football move. That doesn't make sense. How are you making a football move if the ball's not in your hands? Then the Raiders-Cowboys game, the Gene's territory, the ref, uses a piece of paper to determine whether or not there was a first down. And then 
the the guy the the quarterback of the Raiders dives to the end zone and the ball comes out through the end zone and it goes to the other team. Like there's just so many rules and stuff that just don't make sense. That that I I understand the ball going out of the end zone and thus that is the property of the opposing team and that's why it'll go there. It just seems a little crazy to me that all of those things are real. Like people bet money on this, you know what I mean? Like like there, there is a billion dollar industry that is up to the subjectivity of the referee, and I just think that that's going to eventually get regulated, especially if gambling becomes legal. See, well, yeah, that's a good point about the gambling thing and it becoming legal and there being money at stake. If I gambling's would... legal, then they need to figure all this shit out because there's too, like, there's way too much money involved to allow that to happen. Never mind the stake of the teams, like an organization like the Steelers, a multi-billion-dollar business that right. you don't will have their entire season impacted because of stuff like this. I would argue that we need you said more that... government government oversight. Oh, see, I I was, I, I, I agree with you. Okay. I agree with you to a point, though, but you called it subjective. I would argue it's the exact opposite. It's fully objective right now. Like, I'm sure the officials, if it were up to them yesterday, would have said, yeah, he caught it. Or, okay, we can't we can't let the Raiders lose the game on this quirky fumble out the back of the end zone. But again, when you look at the logic behind that rule is written, yes, obviously it's the property of the defense. It also is there to def- um, uh, prevent teams from yeah, you're getting near the goal line. Let me just sort of fumble it in that direction, you know, and maybe one of my guys can pick it up for a touchdown. Like, they're, it, it penalizes you for that sort of thinking because if it goes out the back of the end zone, you lose the ball. So there's, there's all sorts of logic why these things make sense. But, yes, that particular rule, like, there has to be something. If you're inside the five-yard line and actively reaching for the goal line, then you put it in the hands of the official on the replay to say, okay, was this an intentional? Like, was he intentionally advancing the ball? Then, yes, it should be a touchback. In the Like, he's not going to score, but here, I'm just going to shovel it because we get nothing left and hope someone picks it up, right? Okay, yeah, then it's a touchback. You have to put the, You have to give the official some power to say, you know what, nope. Clearly reaching for a goal line, clearly a fumble. Maybe it's a five-yard penalty. Maybe they move backwards five yards. Like some sort of half measure to prevent against a goofy touchback on a play like that because it's not fair. You could go down the field. You could be at your own 20 and fumble the ball, and it goes out of bounds, and it's no harm, no foul. Yet you march down the field 80 yards, and now you have a freak fumble trying to reach for a play to cross a goal line You know, to— as part of another quirky rule where all you got to do is get a, a razor of the ball over and now you're being penalized in that fashion. So I agree it doesn't make sense, but I think we need more subjectivity. Like how do you like how do you feel about my thing about the catch rule where it's like end this particularly like, give the officials more power, not less. Like less rules, not more to have some level of contextual awareness and say, "Oh, like I know this could lead to problems." But I think you're going to get the calls right more times than you're going to get them wrong when you give them some power, especially when you're giving them slow-mo replay to say, okay, go ahead and make a determination here. Yeah, I know. It's, it. I mean, you do it on ball spots. Like, you're you're talking about the ball spot where putting the, you know, piece of paper, ultimately the spot of the ball, even on even on replays, it's, it's up to the official to look at the play and say, okay, I think it's right about here. So you're still giving them power. That is something that you probably could quantifiably say all you gotta do is put a chip in the ball and put sensors on the field and they will tell you exactly how far that ball advanced like I that's love chip in the ball takes they're my but, favorite but it could I say it, that, that it, that's a simple one like that's one where you can actually 
quantifiably measure where that ball got to, and yet that is in the hands of the officials. Something that should be in the hands of the officials, looking at a replay and saying, yep, he fucking caught it, it's clear as day, no one's going to argue with us here, that has been boxed into all these weird rules. I feel like they have it backwards. Yeah, I think it's... uh... I don't they, you know, they always put out those surveys. What are the reasons why NFL ratings are going down? And one of them's like the catch rules too confusing. I don't think that's why no one's watching, but it's a really frustrating part now to watch where that they were like they're challenging this yesterday, the Jesse James thing, and it went, Oh, they're gonna fucking take this back. And it's like I don't know, like I want to remember that game as the the game where the Patriots drove down the field and scored and then a juju play and a Jesse James, the Steelers. Because, dude, the Steelers would have had home field advantage throughout the playoffs. And now it looks like the Patriots are going to have it. So and, and they just lost Antonio Brown. So it just, I mean, the, the Steelers went from losing Antonio Brown, but at least we have home field advantage, to losing Antonio Brown and... If they lose another game, Jacksonville's going to get a bye, and Pittsburgh is going to move to to a wild card team, which is insane. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. It mars otherwise. It it mars an otherwise excellent game. Like there's no <laughs> reason that should be what we talk we're talking about yesterday. And take a look at yeah, how go, many times yeah, did it right. take Nance and Romo to watch the replay. I think they were on their fourth viewing. Before finally, Romo was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is what they're challenging, Jim. They're actually challenging the catch, exactly. Right. And, you know, two guys, you know, lifelong football guy and a guy who's been calling NFL games for 20 years, watched the play four times, and it doesn't even occur to them that the guy didn't catch the ball. Like that, that's how, that's how absurd. You're right. You're trying to see if they're, yeah, first few times I was looking, it's like, is he down? What is the deal? Yeah. And you see the uh oh the ball moved the ball moved two hundred and forty pound guy falling on a falling on a one pound football and it moved I can't believe it moved he must not have caught it like yeah I don't know crazy it it doesn't make any sense to me but it never really does all right uh, how many sporting events do we have this week put me on the spot here it's Sixers Sixers tonight and tomorrow no Embiid tonight by the way Sixers putting out the Injury update yesterday at one fifteen, smack during the Eagles game. Second time in a row. Yeah, well, so, you know, I guess one could say that last time it was right before the game started, it was game time decision, and that game was the same time as the Eagles, though I, I'm guessing they knew that morning he wasn't going to play. 1 o'clock is typically the time of, like, their practice slash media availability, so that, that could have just been a coincidence because on any weekday it would have been one yesterday, but... They have lucked out on two Embiid not playing updates smack during the middle of Eagles games. Also buried in that is Furkan Korkmaz has a Liz Frank thing with his foot out of nowhere. Um, so he's going to be out for indefinitely, whatever that w- will turn out to mean. So uh, not great. Embiid, I'm guessing, doesn't play tomorrow night either. He's going to need that load managed. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't play for a week. Antonio Brown is expected back for the postseason? What? With that partially torn calf? Despite the Steelers' bad luck yesterday? Like, these are the things, these are the breaks Pittsburgh has gotten for two decades, and we have not. 
Carson Wentz goes out and there's like a glimmer of hope that it's just a partial tear. Antonio Brown gets taken to the hospital mid-game for his calf, and you're like, oh, God, he either tore his Achilles or his calf muscles just like roll up like a fruit roll-up in, in his leg, and he's done for you know 16 months, some sort of freakish injury, right? Nope, just a parcel tear. He'll be able to be back in a few weeks. Why don't we get these breaks? I'm glad the guy's healthy. I mean, he's, he's, he's fun to watch and all that, but like, why don't we – why the Steelers? The guy goes out. And you're thinking, oh, man, this could be bad. Nope, that's actually not that bad. He'll be able to return. Yeah. That said, I can't imagine that's easy to bounce back from. No, I can't To me, that feels it's like easy it's to run on either. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think it will, too. All right, guys, that was fun. Uh, Adam Lefko at Adam Lefko, Kyle Scott at Crossing Broad, Russell Joy at Joy on Broad. Uh, fun as always. Leave a five-star review, and Russ will read it on Wednesday's show. Uh, we will break down the both Sixers games on Wednesday and get ready for the Raiders on Christmas. Uh, oh, yeah. And by the way, you know what we didn't talk about today? Uh, mm. Carlos Santana <laughs> signing Wait, with I, the Phillies. I lost you for a sec. You we say? lost Carlos Santana. Or we forgot about doing Carlos Santana. So we'll do that Wednesday, too. That's the good thing about this show is we're very honest. And we like to put it all out there. We will talk about a $60 million contract for the Phillies on Wednesday in addition to uh, the Sixers as well. Thanks, guys, so much. We'll holler at you soon. Love you. Bye.